Hello and welcome to the Weekly Witch brought to you by TwoSalem.com, the home for all things Salem, history, Halloween, witchcraft, and more. This show features interviews and updates from Salem, the world of the esoteric, fiction, film, and many other areas, all aimed at developing a deeper, richer connection with the spooky, witchy, and divine. Please consider supporting this show on Patreon or by subscribing to the platform upon which you are consuming this content. My name's Joel. Now let's get weird, witches. As long as I can remember, the creatures of folklore and mythology have absolutely captivated me. But it wasn't until I got into exploring the world of the esoteric that I came upon perhaps the most startling realization about such beings. Some of them are actually real, or at the very least, grounded in very real spiritual practices. Now, the term fairy appears in European folklore as a sort of catch-all term to describe a range of types of spirits. Some other familiar creatures from folklore that have at times been lumped in with fairies include goblins and gnomes. But generally, these spirits are small in stature, humanoid, and wield magical powers such as enchantment and protection. My guest today is Morgan Daimler. Now, Morgan has been thinking about fairies and their place in folklore, myth, and spirituality for a really long time. She teaches classes and writes about Irish myth, magical practices, fairies, and much more. Some of her work includes gods and goddesses of Ireland, fairy craft, Irish paganism, and many, many more. Please check out her Amazon page. There's tons of really quality stuff there for you to peruse. I asked Morgan to come on the show because I was really fascinated to learn how she views fairies as both mythological figures and ones incorporated into her own spiritual practice as a Wiccan. The conversation was absolutely enchanting, and I very, very much hope you agree with that. If you are interested in a sort of introductory approach to what fairies are and what their place currently is in witchcraft and Wicca, head over to TwoSalem.com for an article that will really get you up to speed with a lot of the stuff that Morgan is going to be talking about in this episode. So thanks very much to Morgan Daimler for coming on the show, and I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation. Morgan Daimler, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, I yeah, came, thanks for inviting me. Of course. I, I came across your work only recently, but you've been, you've been a voice in the pagan witchcraft, Celtic, fairy community for, for how long now? Um, well, of how long I've been a voice is probably a debatable point, but um, I started teaching publicly uh, about 20 years ago. I was right around uh, 1999, 2000, and I published my first book in 2010. Got it. And what was the first one on? Uh, my very first book was on um, the Carmina Gadelica, which is a book of collected folk prayers from Scotland. Um, so I sort of had a, a pagan perspective on that. Um, Were you practicing uh, before you wrote that book or were the, did those things kind of happen in tandem with each other? Nope. Um, I got into practicing uh, witchcraft more generally around 1991, 1992. 
And then from there, I had kind of segued into Celtic reconstruction, um, probably the, the mid to later 90s. Um, so that was sort of where, where I was coming from. And then the uh, sort of incorporating the, the fairy faith and the, the fairy aspects of it has always been part of whatever I was doing. So... Gotcha. And, and where did the where did the sort of uh, beginnings of your interest in in fairies happen? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's a little complicated. Um, I have kind of always, my entire life, had experiences around those sorts of beings and um, perceptions of them uh, as far back as I can remember. Uh, I was one of those strange small children who would build little fairy houses and leave out little offerings for them just kind of intuitively I really didn't know what I was doing but um, there was always sort of a thing for me uh, and then when I got older um, I started to actually research um, I, I grew up as part of the Irish American diaspora so that was part of my my base structure sort of for what mm -hmm. they were and, and what was going on but when I got older, I started really digging into fairy folklore and other people's beliefs around them and kind of all of that. Um, and then I discovered witchcraft and mm -hmm. uh, sort of all of those things ended up getting blended together for me. So. Gotcha. Um, so, okay. Give me, I don't want this to sound as stupid as it probably will sound, <laughs> but <That's okay. laughs> give me just like, your 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 total novice introduction to fairies what are they in 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 terms of you know your current understanding what's the difference between fairies and, and say changelings or fae and how are you or have you integrated uh fairies with your overall spiritual picture okay um Big you question. Asked, yeah, yeah, you asked a bunch of really <laughs> big, complicated questions. I did, um, I did. Basically, uh, fairy is just a catch-all kind of term for otherworldly beings, um, beings that are not from this, this world or this reality initially, but can come here and interact here and have various influences here. Mm. Um, generally speaking, because it's a sort of general term, and it's been used that way for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, the word fairy in English goes back to the 13th century, I believe. Um, we stole it from the French because that's what the English language likes to do. Um, so it's, it's sort of one of those terms that when we look at the, the older material, the traditional material, folklore, um, because it's a generic, it gets equated to other things all the time. So you'll see a lot of times, because you'd mentioned the word fae, um, fae is actually the French word that we took and then made into fairy in English. Um, so those terms are kind of synonymous for the most part. They both mean basically the same thing. Um, and then you have other terms like elf, which comes from uh, Germanic languages, but uh, kind of came into English and gets used as an equivalent. Um, so you, you can find older texts uh, that use these terms all in one passage, kind of meaning the same creature or the same being. Hmm. Um, and initially the words were an adjective. They were just used to describe something that had that sort of otherworldly nature to it. 
that wasn't wasn't from here, so to mm. speak. Um, and then kind of later on, it came to mean as a noun, that specific kind of being itself. Um, so when I use the word, that's, that's pretty much where I'm coming at it from. Um, it's a general term. It applies to a lot of different things. Uh, so then we can get into all the specific types of fairies and, and all of that. And there's many of them. Um, and of course, you can look outside um, English-speaking cultures and find equivalents where the word fairy would be what we would um, translate the term in that culture that they would use because mm. it's the closest sort of English word that we would have for whatever the word in the other language is. Um, and I am a huge linguistic nerd, so I promise I will not like, <laughs> go off on a tangent about that. But um, how that all got incorporated into my witchcraft, there's so much folklore and so much folk belief relating to these beings and sort of how to safely interact with them and how to um, deal with them when they're not being safe, how to protect yourself or how to sort of, you know, nurture potentially a, a better relationship with them. And there's a lot of evidence, uh, particularly from England and Scotland and less so from Ireland, but it is still there, of witches historically having worked with these beings, that that was sort of a thing that has, has happened over hundreds of years, that people would um, connect to them, particularly to learn specific knowledge, often related to healing or plants, but not always. And, um, you know, there's indications that it could be a lot older even than the, the evidence that we have for it. Um, a friend of mine who blogs uh, at uh, Seo Helruna, it's the name of her blog, um, they've done uh, some really good work about this sort of thing, witches and elves in Anglo-Saxon and Norse culture, which goes back a lot further, at least a thousand years. So kind of looking at all of that and putting all that together, um, it just sort of made sense for me because I was already having these experiences and, and sort of perforce having to deal with these beings. Um, and then when witchcraft sort of became my spirituality and my practice, it, it was only natural for me to incorporate them together, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, so what, what does that incorporation look like practically? Um, are you sort of doing rituals to, to communicate? Is that sort of how it manifests itself? Um, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Um, the way that I approach ritual structure itself is kind of based on um, my, my study in this area and my perception in this area. So like I don't cast a circle the way a lot of um, witches traditionally would or um, use the idea of a compass in the same way. Um, I, I sort of have a different approach to that. Um, I still, I do do it, but I just don't, I don't do it the same way. I don't invoke elements and, mm -hmm. and any of that kind of thing. Um, and it sort of has a different purpose to it. Uh, it's a lot about trying to build connections and um, I guess sort of allies or, or friendships, like connecting to the, um, the spirits in the house, connecting to the spirits and fairies around me. Um, in a more general sense, like in my yard, in my neighborhood, because uh, they, they're everywhere. Mm. Um, didn't mean that to sound as weirdly creepy as it just did. But... <laughs> There's one behind <laughs> me right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
you never know. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, it's that sort of idea of connecting to them and um, building a more positive relationship to them. So making offerings. Um, I, I recently, I'd gone to Iceland in 2018 um, with my friend, coincidentally, who writes the blog I just mentioned, and uh, a few other people. And while I was there, I'd had an experience um, relating to the uh, fall equinox and the, the Pleiades, the constellation. And that sort of completely changed how I um, look at the ritual year. So I've kind of switched from a solar lunar kind of timing into a stellar timing. So I do things by the constellations now. Huh. And that, that I entirely blame on, on the fairies. Huh. fair folk because that was very much inspired by a, a particular thing that happened kind of with them so so do they do, do they ever act as sort of like in the way that uh spirit guides kind of you hear about performing where where one or a few might recur to you over and over again and in, in sort of a protectiony way or is it less personal than that um i wouldn't use the term spirit guide necessarily because i think people have different associations with that sure um and you know fairies just by their nature they they can be helpful but they can also be dangerous and you know they can cause harm um so i don't want to give people the wrong impression but there certainly are ones over the the decades that i've been doing this who um are uh i have regular experiences with i do a lot with uh, dream work and uh, meditation and journey work and that sort of thing and um, with those, um, I think in the looser sense of what you had just said, um, you could use that sort of description, um, but they're, they're not spirit guides in the sense of they're not trying to help me be like the best person that I can be or the best human I can be. Um, they're not trying to help my, my consciousness evolve, um, or at least as far as I'm aware, they're not. Mm -hmm. um, but they'll, uh, they'll teach me things um, practical things usually. Um, this is something that's that's up on my blog, so it's like uh, public knowledge at this point. But uh, I had had a dream, for example, where um, one of the the other crowd, one of the the fairies that is kind of a guide, I guess we could say for me, um, had come to me and shown me how to make a kind of cake. And for the record, I don't cook, I, I don't bake. I'm one of those people that is a little dangerous in the kitchen, but. <laughs> In the dream, it was very clear that it was like this much flour and um, these many eggs and this much honey. And I woke up and I'm like, I don't even know if that's food. Like, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if you could turn those ingredients into something edible. Um, but I figured I would try um, just to see. And it it turns out, yeah, it it if you follow it the way that I was told how to do it. It actually bakes up into this nice little cake. It's really sweet because there's a ton of honey in it. Uh -huh. um, but in the dream, I was given to me as like, use this as an offering, make these for offerings. It was something that they wanted. Um, they actually are pretty good though. So sometimes I make them just to eat them. <laughs> offering to yourself. Um, right. <laughs> um, but that's, that's more the kind of stuff, you know, when they, they come in to teach um, it's practical things like that. It's not necessarily like, you know, you need to meditate more to become a better, calmer person. Right. You can probably use some of that. 
<laughs> so how have fairies uh, interacted with the unconscious or subconscious mind in your experience working with them? I know you said they pop up in dreams and sometimes in meditation. Is that, uh, are there other ways that you've seen them sort of playing on a, on a deeper substructure mentally? Um, I definitely think that they can connect to people and influence people in those ways. Um, I think they have a, a lot of ability when it comes to things like getting you to notice synchronicities, mm. um, drawing your attention to things, which are probably always there, but you just don't see them unless they're kind of being highlighted. Mm -hmm. um, definitely the dreams. Uh, and again, that's one of those things that in modern terms, we tend to be um, very rational about dreams. We tend to view dreams as this is just your your subconscious working itself out. Um, but that's actually a really recent view. Uh, it kind of came in as psychology was developing, um, which is a, as much as I love it, because it was my major, but it is a fairly recent <laughs> entry into the field, as it were. Um, you know, previously it used to be that people took dreams very, very seriously. And there's um, quite a few good articles out there discussing how, um, people would treat dreams as if they were waking interactions. That's part of the reason when we look at some of the witchcraft trial material and there's these accusations of people going out like in their sleep um, or someone having a dream of their neighbor coming to them and tormenting them. Um, that's part of what was taken so seriously because at that time period, like as far as they were concerned, that really happened. Mm -hmm. That was a real thing that happened. Um, whereas today we have, we often have a different perspective on it but i do find that the fairies um that that is one way that they'll communicate and reach out to people um and the idea of course that when you're sleeping your your soul can leave your body and uh sometimes wander off have its right. little adventures right have you so you're a psychology major so have you have you done a lot of work on uh sort of the the psychological interplay between fairies and uh uh I don't know, cognitive processes. I'm sort of thinking of Jung and archetypes and how that might play up with fairies. Um, I definitely think that, uh, you know, if Jung, can, well, he did get into the folklore aspects of things, but um, I do think fairies, if we choose to look at them through that lens, um, fall into uh, certain specific archetypes. Um, sometimes some of the shadow archetypes in particular, the more um, subconscious negative ones that we try to not acknowledge and resist. Um, I also think if we look at the sort of the wider pattern of um, fairy belief and how people um, over the course of centuries have related to fairies, um, fairies often exemplify sort of what's repressed in a particular human community. Hmm. So, you know, there's, there's examples of fairies in particular parts of England where, um, you know, during specific time periods that were, we'll just say very religious, um, where people weren't supposed to dance. Um, and then you see all these stories of, of people having these encounters with dancing fairies. Hmm. And it's, it's sort of, um, sort of shows that they will often appear as the um, almost the animus aspect of the the human society around them that's being repressed 
we see the same thing when it comes to like sexuality and gender roles. Um, of course, looking at it from a modern lens, we don't always understand it because you're using that context. But if you understand the context, you can you can see that pattern. Um, we see a lot of stories, again, I'm looking more at England here, but of um, male fairies appearing in very domestic roles that normally would have been women's roles in that culture. So it would be really unusual, you know, in like 16th century England for men to do certain tasks or to be in certain places. And that's where we'll find male fairies. And in the same way, we see female fairies kind of out doing the things that in the culture at the time they would expect men to do. So mm. sort of flipping that, um, that gender role. Um, but again, in our modern terms, that doesn't seem so shocking. Right. You know, uh, we're a little more free form with our gender roles in the 21st century, but um, back then it, it definitely would have struck people as, you know, this is, um, this is something that we as humans can't do, but they can do it. Fairies can do it. Hmm. So is that sort of the way in which they can be dangerous is that they, they come to embody these repressed parts of ourselves and maybe interacting with that before you're ready can have long-term harm? That's definitely some of it, um, I think. And, and we do see a lot of stories of people who have these experiences or these interactions or um, deal with the world of fairy or visit the world of fairy even, and then end up pining away, sort of lose their will to live in this world hmm. um, because they, they sort of can't reconcile the, the human reality that they're in compared to the fairy reality uh, that they would rather be in. Um, I mean, we also see fairy stories um, and anecdotal accounts that are, are much more directly uh, dangerous to the, the physical being. You know, there's types of fairies that just flat out eat people. Yeah. <laughs> there, there has been supposition over the years, because a lot of them are water fairies, that um, this might have at some point uh, represented like people trying to particularly warn children to stay away from like don't go near that river because there's a hag in it and she'll eat you right. um, or don't go near that lake because there's a kelpie in it and it'll eat you um, you know depending on on whether you're looking at fairies as real beings that have agency and interact with humans or as just aspects of um, human understanding of the world uh, but that certainly has been you know it is a supposition that's out there. Hmm. Give me, I'm going to pause for one second if that's okay. My cat is trying desperately to get out of my room. <laughs> Making all kinds of noise. I'll be right back. Sure. Oh, thanks. All right. It's been taken care of. Okay. I totally understand. I have cats yeah. and children. So. Oh, how many of each? Uh, two cats and three children. Oof, that's a lot. It's rolling chaos at all times. I'm sure. I'm sure. Two cats is enough for me at the moment, I think. Um, that's, that's a good choice. <laughs> so you're, are, are you a New Englander? Yes. Are, are you from the area? Yeah, um, I was born in Maine originally. Oh. Um, and I still have family up there. Uh, and now I'm living more in the, the southeast of New England. Gotcha. That's I'm also little... where I'm living. Yeah. Um, so have, have you been to Salem? I have. Um, not in a long time at this point. Um, I, I went a couple times in 2003. 
um, but I, I haven't been able to get back up there and I, I would direct you again to the three children conversation <laughs> yeah um what was your what was your takeaway when you did go were you a fan of it um did you have a good time what did you think of it um i did have a good time i i think that my opinion is a little broad all right <laughs> um i i definitely loved the history i i thought um being there and visiting it and seeing the the locations and the places I did the little trolley tour um that was was very cool um I went in of course to a lot of the stores and the the various museums um and I mean in that aspect it's like anything else anywhere else you're going to go you know some were definitely um much more uh interesting than others right (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's, it's, it's worth visiting, I think, um, particularly if you're a, a pagan in the United States, just to go to understand the history a little better. Because um, I'm constantly shocked by the sort of misinformation that's out there um, when it comes to Salem and the witchcraft trials. You'd be shocked. Oh, I, <laughs> the things I, I hear from people. Yeah, I, I would believe it because I see it all the time. Um, you know, people talking about, you know, the witches that were burned in Salem. Yeah. Like, oh, oh yeah. no. And uh, the, that is the big one. And the second big one I hear a lot is not knowing that the, uh, the, the executions and, and arrests and the entire affair were were conducted against all members of the community, children, men, women. I mean, there was a four-year-old arrested and put in prison and um, almost executed and she never recovered from it. She was, she was totally destroyed by, by the experience. So uh, yeah, burning. I hear a lot of burning. I hear a lot of, um, I hear a lot of, this honestly does surprise me, but but I think there's something about the, the the nature of modern Salem that that kind of lends to this idea, um, which is that the the people who were executed were actual witches, which is is a kind of a complicated thing to dispute because there isn't one angle from which you can look at it and it is true, but it's not usually the angle people mean when they say that. Um, right. So I hear that all the time too. Um, but uh, as a, a practicing, were you practicing it back when you were in Salem in 2000? Yeah, yeah 2000? 2003. Mm-hmm. Did you find it to be a sort of authentic experience as, as a practicing witch at that time? I feel like this question is a trap. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to trap you. I'm really not. I'm just curious. I'm curious about uh, uh, practicing today and, and in the yeah. past, because it's obviously a lot different now than it was back then. But back right. then, how did right. it feel to you? Um, I think aspects of it felt very sincere and very genuine. Um, others, maybe not so much. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that it, it kind of ran that whole spectrum. Um, and there, there were certainly a couple places I went to that were not promoting the best history mm. necessarily either. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely true. Um, okay, so I want to switch to an article that, that you recently published on uh, Pathios, and it was titled Irish American Witchcraft, Aesthetic Witches, Basic Witches, and Gatekeeping. 
it, it's a fantastic article, by the way. Absolutely adored Thank it. You. It's why I asked you to come on the show. It's I, I loved it. I've read it like four times. Can you Thank just you. briefly break down the distinction that you make in that article between aesthetic and basic witches? So, I mean, these are sort of pop culture terms, which means the definitions can be a little vague. If you, you know, look to the great oracle of Google for this, you're going to get sort of a range of answers. <laughs> um, generally speaking, though, aesthetic witchcraft is this concept of adopting sort of the appearance and the things that are associated with witchcraft without necessarily adopting the substance of it. So people who may, you know, really like to dress the way they think that a stereotypical witch would dress and like the big pentacle and cauldrons and herbs and um, candles and sort of all of that, the aesthetic. But they may not really know um, or have much depth of knowledge relating to the actual practice or spirituality of witchcraft. It becomes um, sort of like a costume mm. or like a dress. Um, in contrast to that, basic witchcraft kind of grew out of the idea of calling things basic to imply that they were sort of shallow and simple and um, didn't have a lot of substance to them. Um, and there can be some crossover when people are hurling insults between aesthetic and basic witchcraft. But um, it's become more of a thing because it's, it's sort of a convenient way to imply that someone maybe is practicing witchcraft or is into the spirituality, but only on the surface. They really don't have much depth to them. They don't really maybe know what they're doing. Um, they're just sort of trendy. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's kind of what we would have called, you know, 10, 20 years ago, like Insta witches or, you know, I read a book, which is, uh, I think those terms have phased out. Now we have basic witches. <laughs> I like that one. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. I read a book, oh, yeah. which is, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's there's, good. There's, al there's always something, um, <laughs> you know, and really the, the point I was making in the whole article, because a lot of people who get accused of being aesthetic witches or, um, basic witches are younger people, mm -hmm. um, people in their teens, people in their early twenties, um, aesthetic witchcraft in particular is huge on certain social media platforms um, that are mostly populated by people in their teens or early 20s. Um, so it's become this sort of way to kind of gatekeep and be like, well, these people aren't really serious practitioners. You know, these people are just um, following the fad or they're just trendy you know, they just like the look of it. They're not like serious. They're not, you know, suffering for their right. right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've, I've always been a big proponent of um, witchcraft needing to be something that was accepting of diversity and was accepting of kind of that full range. You know, you're always going to have people who are just casual um, that they're, they do like it, they are interested in it, it is their spirituality or their practice, but it's not their life, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, personally. Yeah, I mean, I can understand the, the impulse to the gatekeeping mm -hmm. if you have constructed, you know, 
witchcraft down into the pillars of your being, it might feel a little, um, you know, intrusive or unearned for someone to suddenly come along and say that they're, that because they read a book, <laughs> they're sort of at the same level of understanding as you are. Right. Um, right. So do you think there are places where it's this kind of gatekeeping is, is appropriate? Like, um, I'm thinking specifically of, you know, a sort of uh, uh, mentor uh, experience where you don't want to reveal too much too soon and there's a sort of gatekeeping that's in place to keep that from happening. Um, do you think that sort of thing is appropriate in the larger witchcraft community or uh, is, is this sort of general disdain for basic or aesthetic witches uh, just all around, you know, just we should just be rid of it because it's, it, it, it's keeping people from entering into the fray potentially. Well, I mean, my biggest concern with the gatekeeping, specifically with the aesthetic and, and so-called basic witches, is that it really puts people off who are just starting out and who, who might actually have found a real spirituality and a real practice with witchcraft over time. Because these are almost always people who are very, very new. Mm -hmm. um, I emphasize almost always, but you know, it's, it's usually people, like I said, they're younger, they're newer, this is something they're just sort of discovering. Um, and I hate to see that squashed, you know, with this idea of, well, you're, you're kind of not good enough right. for us, so go find something else. And they will, you know, if you have enough people telling you, you know, we don't accept you, they'll, they'll go find something else. And that I don't agree with. Um, gatekeeping in a wider sense, I do think there's positive aspects to it. Um, if you belong to a particular tradition that requires initiation, then yeah, you have every right to say, you know, you're not in our tradition unless you follow our procedures and check all the boxes and, and all of that. Um, if someone is dangerous, um, you know, if they've caused uh, physical, particularly physical, but um, any other kind of harm to other people, then, you know, I think that a community has the right to say we don't want that here. Um, I think it's a little more complicated with disavowing someone because I, I have seen that happen where people try to say, well, you know, they're just not a witch. They're not practicing witchcraft. I mean, even if they're a terrible, terrible person, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not a witch. Right. <laughs> no. But we can say we don't want them in our community or at events or you know, what have you, if, if they're dangerous or, you know, for, for any other reason that would make sense to prevent any kind of harm hmm. to people. Yeah. So makes sense. Um, so you've got, you've got, uh, in October of this year, you've got uh, Pagan Portals, Raven Goddess going deeper with Morrigan coming mm -hmm. out. Um, this is your, is this your second look at Morgan? That um, is a follow-up, yes, to my um, Pagan Portals, uh, The Morgan Meeting the Great Queen, which came out, I believe, in 2014. And what is the, what, what's the reason for revisiting? Um, the Pagan Portals series, it's a series that Moon, Moon Books does, um, and they're meant to be sort of introductory books. They're very short. Um, they run about 25,000, 26,000 words, which works out to roughly 80 to 90 pages. Um, so the first book was really just a look at, at 
who the Morrigan is in mythology, about goddesses that are often confused with her and are connected to her in various ways, and then sort of a brief look at um, the different mythology that she does show up in and how people can potentially connect to her in the modern world. Um, but I had always thought afterwards that at some point I would like to do another book kind of following it up because there was so much I just couldn't get into. Mm. Um, so in this second one, um, I get a lot more in depth on, for example, like colors that are associated with her, um, animals that are associated with her through the different forms that she takes. Um, I dig into some of the misconceptions about her that have gotten really popular. Um, and I am being careful how I say this because I, I don't want to criticize people's personal approaches sure. to their spirituality. And if, if these are things that work for individuals, it's not meant to be a, you're, you're naughty and you shouldn't do that. Um, it's more trying to sort of disambiguate, dig into, um, things that are being perpetuated as this is historical. This is how she is in the mythology, which isn't accurate. All right. Um, so things like her as a sex goddess, which has gotten really popular, um, her as a mother goddess, um, you know, kind of digging into those topics and and sort of seeing what we actually have in the mythology and what that tells us. Um, and then people can can go wherever they want from there. Um, so that's sort of more the second book. Um, and there's also certain things that people will say are in the mythology that just aren't. Um, for the record, my super weird personal hobby, I translate Old Irish for fun. No way. I do. Wow. <laughs> everybody needs a weird personal hobby. <laughs> That's um, a good one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've been doing that now for, oh God, I think six years. Wow. Um, it's when I started doing the translations. So um, with a lot of this, I went back to the original mythology in the original language and kind of looked at what it said. And, um, you know, some of the things that people are saying are from the mythology. They just aren't, you know, um, and it's, it's not to say whether you should or shouldn't believe it today. Just we need to be really clear, I think, so that we're not um, kind of making up Irish mythology. Mm -hmm. that, that's not fair to Irish culture. Mm -hmm. That's, that's naughty. So that yeah. is naughty, I will say. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what the second book is, is more about, getting into all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. And if, if uh, anyone watching or listening to this podcast was interested in learning more about, let's do, let's do uh, fairies and Celtic slash Irish mythology as two separate sort of categories, where would they start with your body of work? Okay. Um, with my body of work for fairies, um, I have a book called um, Fairies, A Guide to the Celtic Fair Folk. Um, particularly for pagans, I think that's a good one to start with because I get a little more in that one into practical um, what to do, what not to do, to kind of engage with the fair folk. Um, I also have a book that just came out in February called A New Dictionary of Fairies. Um, that's a little more on the um, looking at specific ones, looking at some of the wider um, tropes that we find in folklore and um, getting into all of that. Um, but those, those two would probably be the ones that I would 
point people towards. I do write about my particular type of witchcraft, um, which I call fairy witchcraft, which I realize there's like five other traditions also called fairy witchcraft, but here we are. Um, <laughs> but I, I would say start with those first. And then if you're interested in other stuff, you know, get into the other stuff. And, um, you know, besides that, with the uh, Irish and Celtic, I do have quite a few pagan portals out at this point that are specifically about Irish gods. Um, I have one that's Irish gods and goddesses. Uh, and then I have the one on the Morrigan, as you mentioned. Um, I have one on the Dagda, uh, who's the Morrigan's husband. Um, I have one on Manon and McLear. I have one on uh, Bridge, uh, Bridget, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I also have a book just on Irish paganism, kind of more generally. So, you know, that, those would all kind of be possible go-tos. Um, my translation stuff I have books for, and I also do a lot of that free online. So, wow, if that interests you. <laughs> you have written a lot since you started writing. <laughs> I have. Do you have. write every day? Or are you one of those, like, I have hours set apart every day to crank it out? Yeah. Um, my middle child has some health issues. So in 2011, I had to stop working um, to kind of stay home and, and do the, the parenting thing, which is awesome. Um, but I am not the sort of person who does well with nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So um, I started writing. Uh, it's it's basically my full time job at this point. Um, I've written, I believe it's thirty books at this point. Um, seven of those are fiction because I, I do have a little fiction series that I do. Um, all the rest are nonfiction, the, the translation stuff and the pagan portals and and all of that. So, wow. Congratulations. That's, that's a lot busy. of writing in, in that amount of time. Yeah, you got to keep busy, you know. You do, don't you? Well, yeah. thank you so much. Is there anything besides um, the uh, next Morgan book coming out that you would like our audience to be aware of? Um, I have the, the Raven Goddess book comes out in uh, September, early October, uh, depending on when Amazon actually decides to start selling it for fun like that. <laughs> Um, I have a book called Living Fairy, which is coming out in December. And that's about some of this Pleiades star holiday stuff that I was talking about. Um, and then next April, I think it's April. Next April, I have a book on Lou, the Irish god Lou. Um, these are all pagan portals mm -hmm. uh, coming out. So that, that's kind of everything I have at the moment. Um, I'm working on my next novel. That'll be out at some point, but I'm not sure exactly when. So I, I can't give a specific date for that one. Wow, well, th thank you again so much. This was a fascinating conversation from a total yeah. fairy novice. I feel like I learned a whole lot. So thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on the show, Morgan. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for listening to The Weekly Witch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find out way more at TwoSalem.com or by checking out the various social platforms TwoSalem is on, which are in order of how frequently they are used, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can support this show and everything else TwoSalem is producing by becoming a patron on Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time, witches.